I'm not sure if that changes the way you look at Christmas forever from now on, or Queen forever from now on. But um, <laughs> we couldn't help it. Um, I found some tweets this week, so some some one-line sayings um, of what people had concluded after reflecting on parenting kids. So on having kids, on on, and on having little kids, because Christmas is all about a baby, right? So I thought I'd share some of them with you, see if you can relate, see if this um, says a story that's familiar. So the first one says, no one is full of more false hope than a parent bringing a book and a chair to the beach. If you, and by the way, if you're going through this, I go, I don't understand. Just have kids. And it becomes crystal clear really quick. So I asked my toddler, what's in the box she's holding? Chaos, she replies. Chaos, chaos. Now, I know she's trying to say crayons, but it's not like she's actually wrong. <laughs> I, only I can understand my kid. She's like, and I'm like, oh. Oh, you want a piece of sausage, cut up, put it in the plate and put it in the fridge for later on. Yes, we'll do that. You're going to miss this, I whisper to myself, as I'm shot in the butt with a Nerf gun while I'm unclogging the toilet. Every picture I have of my two-year-old, and this happened over here, every picture I have of my two-year-old is of him walking towards the camera asking if he can see the picture. 80% of my time walking places with my kids is spent waiting for them to balance on things. I just overheard my two-year-old exclaim, yay, I did it, from the other room. What I learn next will either be exhilarating or horrifying. A lone sharpie lid, you know the texters? The lone sharpie lid is one of the most terrifying things a parent can find. And the last one. The fastest land mammal is a toddler who's just been asked, what's in your mouth? <laughs> Christmas is about one thing. It's about the arrival of a tiny little human who I really hope, for humanity's sake, gave Mary and Joseph as hard a time as our kids give us. But this baby will grow up to be a saviour, will grow up to be someone who shapes the course of history that changes Everything. Christmas is about celebrating his birthday, Jesus' birthday. And if you ever stop to think, we don't celebrate the birthday of a dead person. We don't give that any time. So there's something in this. Christmas, Christians believe and they know that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. And in doing so, God took up permanent residence in the world that he created. And he's still here. About 19 and a half centuries ago, a man who was called Matthew, who was one of the closest eyewitnesses to everything that went on in Jesus' life, he wrote about it in his book, the book creatively titled Matthew. He was a Jew and a tax collector, and his life was radically changed upon meeting Jesus. And he penned these words in Matthew 1. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly later on. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's a really significant and interesting phrase, isn't it? Like, we, we ask that sometimes, God, where are you? Are you here? It was like the little boy who really wanted a red bike for his birthday. And he thought the best way to get it after he'd given his list to his mum and dad was to pray. And so he was praying for this red bike. And his birthday came and he was very excited. He got up in the morning and he rushed out and there was no bike. Poor little guy was devastated. He had a second idea. He thought, well, Christmas is coming. I'll, I'll go through the same things again. So he told his mum and dad what he wanted. And then he started to pray. And every day he prayed, he prayed for this red bike. He wants a red bike for Christmas. Christmas morning, it's got to be there. And a couple of days out, he started thinking about, is God really here? Is God hearing this? Because he didn't do real good on my, on my birthday. Maybe I need another plan. So he, he walked around the house until he found the nativity scene. And he looked through the nativity scenes, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the, the shepherds and the kings and whatnot. And he grabbed hold of Mary. He lovingly took Mary and placed Mary in a towel and wrapped Mary up in a towel. And then stashed Mary in a, in, a, in a drawer, tucked away. And then he went to his bed and he kneeled down. He put his hands together and he prayed. He says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mum again, you'll give me a red bike for Christmas. We do all sorts of things to demand God's presence, to demand that God would show up. And Matthew says, God's already here. He's already here. He's already arrived. So what does that mean? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, the grandest being that the universe has has ever understood, the, the, the creator of it all, of what we know and what we don't. He dared to confine himself to the body and the mind and the emotions of a baby, of a baby. He stripped himself of royalty and he entered this world naked and bloody. Also God could be with you, could reduce the gap of your understanding from being out there to being so close with us. Now of all the ways that God could have shown up, could have convinced us of his power and his care and his majesty and his greatness, surely turning up as a baby was the dumbest idea ever, right? It's like, seriously, you're God. You could have done a little bit more than that. It happens all the time. Well, Mike Pilavachi, who's a preacher in England, he said this. God came as a baby because he neither wanted to control nor abandon the world, but instead share its pain and sacrificially love it into wholeness. God wanted to love us into wholeness. That is a beautiful concept and kind of a crazy concept that God would so fully embrace the human experience so he could invite us into his experience. He would would want to know our life so intimately so that we could know his life so intimately. He would, he would know what it is to be without love here so that we would know how madly and utterly we are loved by God outside of here. How do we even begin to wrap our minds around that? Like, how do we go, I, oh, give me some handles on that. Like, okay, but how do I engage with that? Well, we're not the only ones to struggle with that. People have struggled with that for years. And I want to tell you another story. It's written by a guy who was a Danish philosopher and author in the 19th century. His name was Soren Kierkegaard, and he was a revolutionary. He was 
He was disliked by the institutional church because he challenged them on some of the things they were doing and saying it was wrong. But he was so caught up in Jesus. He was so loving of God that he said, I want to write a short story that people can read and they can grasp more of what God was actually up to when Christmas rolls around. So I've got that story here. It's not very long. Would you like me to read it? Read it? Yeah? All right. Here we go. Imagine with me that there is a king who loved a maiden. A king who loved a maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the royal court. She dressed in rags. She lived in a hovel. She lived a ragged life of a peasant. But for reasons no one could quite figure out, the king fell madly in love with this girl. Why he should love her was beyond explaining. But love her he did. And he could not stop loving her. One day, there awoke in the heart of the king an anxious thought. How in the world shall I reveal my love to this girl? How can I bridge the chasm that separates us? How can she know that I love her? His advisors, of course, told him that all he had to do was command for her to become his queen. And it would be done. For he was a man of immense power. Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign power trembled before him. And every courtier groveled in the dust at the king's voice. This poor peasant girl would have no power to resist. She would have to become the queen. But power, even unlimited power, cannot command love. The king could force her body to be present in the palace, but he could not force love to be present in her heart. He might be able to gain her obedience this way, but coerced submission is not what he wanted. He longed for intimacy of heart and oneness of spirit, and all of the power in the world cannot unlock the human heart. It must be opened from within. So he met with his advisors once again, and they suggested that he try to bridge the chasm by elevating her to his position. He could shower her with gifts, dress her in purple and silk and have her crowned the queen. But if he brought her to this palace, if he radiated the light of his magnificence over her, if she saw all his wealth and pomp and power and greatness, then she would be overwhelmed. How would he ever know if she loved him for himself or for all that he had given her? And how could she know that he loved her and would love her still if she had remained only a humble peasant? Every alternative the king came up with to, to, came to nothing. There was only one way. The king must arise, take off his crown, relinquish his scepter, lay aside his royal robes and take upon himself the life of a peasant. To dress in rags, to stretch out a living in the dirt, to grovel for food and to dwell in hovel. So he shed his royal robes. He went to the village. He became one of the peasants. He worked with them, he lived with them, he suffered with them, he, came, he became one, in, one of them. And in so doing, he won her heart. That's what God did for us. That's the Christmas story, that's what it's about. The heart of God is to win our affection, to, to stir our heart with kindness, with love that comes from God. Jesus strips himself of all his royal privilege and power in order to come near you, in order to be close to you. And what more powerful way to do it? Thanks, hey? That was nice. What more powerful way to do it than as a baby? A fragile, vulnerable, crying, needed, naked baby. 
Well, Village's newest member is Archie Newman. Archie is about five days old. He's tiny. He's beautiful. It's Liv and Chris's son. And they're out. They've got a fair excuse of not being here, given life has been an absolute whirlwind for them. But a show of hands, who wants to give Archie a cuddle? All right. If you know a baby, like you're pretty keen to give a baby a cuddle, right? Even if you might not know Chris and Liv, if you know another baby, you're pretty keen. Okay, so, so let me just break this down for you, what's just happened, right? You've just raised your hand to giving a complete stranger a cuddle. And you don't know anything about him except how heavy he is, what his name is, and that he's got a squashed face. And you've just said, oh yeah, I'm keen to cuddle that stranger. Does that strike you as a little bit weird? Just a little bit weird. It would if it was any other scenario than a baby, right? Of course, baby would go, huh, what? Are you kidding? I'll take a cuddle. I got a cuddle with Zari. Part of that was terrifying. <laughs> Don't do that. Babies are different. They display the most vulnerable nature of a person. See, and baby never pretends. You know exactly how they're feeling and what they're thinking and where they're at. You know, you don't have to guess. You know. They never put on a mask. There's no fakeness. They are the fullness of that person in the most intimate and fragile form. And a baby calls the goodness out of us. Right? It calls us to be gentle and caring and loving. You never see blokes go, oh, hold a baby. Do you want to catch it? You go, it's really good, hey. You, no. Even guys who can be like, a little bit lightheaded when it comes to things of intimacy, care for babies. The hardest, um, toughest person is humbled and warmed when they hold a newborn in their hands. They change us. They do something to us that we might not fully understand, but they, they soften us. God chose to reveal himself to us as a baby, not to impress us by his power, but to woo us with his love. Not to impose his rule upon us, but to provoke us to embrace him. A baby is how Jesus is revealed to us. And that's trust. That God trusts us with a baby. Now, we've, we've got two kids. There's no doubt you've seen them <laughs> and heard them. So Zari's four, Hamish is two. And when they were little babies, we loved to do something. We loved to, to find our friends. And let them have a hold, right? Now, friends, like you love that. But what the best part of it was, was the friend that's a guy that's like, you know, I don't need to hold the baby. You're like, oh, yes, you do. This is going to be great. And you kind of run after them with the baby. And you give them the baby. And all of a sudden, they transform as a person. They're like, and they're holding their knuckles are going white. And the one thing that's ticking through their mind is, I cannot drop this baby. What have I been entrusted with? And they're standing there, just frozen, not knowing what to do, holding this tiny little beautiful life. He's all snuggled in there, like warm, and they're like freaking out. It's the best part of being a, a new dad ever. And they, there's this bond of trust that forms in that moment when they're holding the baby. And with just a handful of exceptions, our kids have never been dropped as babies. God fully entrusts himself to those he created. Think about that for a sec. God fully entrusts himself to those who he actually created. 
because he knows that to be trusted, he first has to trust. God trusted us before he asked us to trust him. When we encounter the baby Jesus, we're encountering God's trust of us and this invitation to trust him. That innocent baby who laid in a manger is the fullness of the universe's creator given to us as an invitation to trust. Now, question for you all. Without giving anything away with anybody else in the thing, and this will make sense. In just a moment, I want you to answer this question, right? So here's the question. On a show of hands, not yet, show of hands, who has bought a gift voucher for someone this Christmas, okay? If you bought a gift voucher for someone this Christmas. Now, if you're sitting next to the person that you got a gift voucher for, you can do like the Tyrannosaurus arms. Okay, so show of hands, who has bought this Christmas a gift voucher for anyone? Go. Not many. Not sure. Okay, so last year, last year, $1.25 billion was spent on gift certificates being given at Christmas time, right? At Christmas time. And in Australia, there are approximately 18 million adults, which means the average adult in Australia spends $70 each year on a gift certificate at Christmas. And what we've just done is found that there's not many of us. So there's some people that are spending a lot of money on gift certificates, right? So they're really extravagant gifts, or there's many, many of them. Now, what percentage of these gift vouchers that are given every year are never redeemed, are never cashed in, are never like taken over the counter and done? What do you, what do you reckon? Give me a percentage. What do you think? 80%? 40%? Fifteen? Sixty? Sixty-one? Woo! Well, the actual answer is not as bad as many of them. It's 28%. 28%. So a quarter of what's given is wasted, right? It's, it's never enjoyed. Now, confession time. Confession time for you. Who has ever missed the expiry date on a gift certificate? Show hands. <laughs> They've changed the law. What is it now? Oh, that is great news. There's only a couple of us that are willing to say, yep, yeah, that was me. I, I've done it. You know, you miss it or you lose it, or you put it in that special place that you completely forget and find five years later. You're like, oh. And when you, when you do that, you're filled with a mix of emotions, right? So, so you're, you feel silly, you feel stupid, you feel ridiculous. Like, oh, should I, if only I, I paid more attention to this. Or you feel like you've wasted something special. It's like, wow, this was really cool, but now it's, it's useless or worthless. Or there's that weird feeling that's mixed in that where you've dishonoured a gift that someone has given you out of love. You've dishonoured a gift that someone's given you out of love. Now, if Jesus is God's gift to us, upon which receiving we validate it by giving our trust to God, then when we fail to do that, we have, we have tragically missing out on something beautiful. And we're dishonouring this gift that God has given us out of love. 
And it's too easy to receive the gift card from God only to lose it or forget it or postpone it or throw it away or not realise how special that thing is we have. And Christmas is that gift card when God says again, this is my son. He's given to you. It's my gift of love to you. Use him. Today you've heard, you've heard that God loves you. You've heard that God has given you a gift. He's shown his heart. He's revealed his intentions in this beautiful little baby. He has again offered this invitation to you to trust him. And there is this redemption process attached to that. That when we redeem it, we are redeemed. That when we say to God, I want to place my trust in you, I want to respond to the trust that you have given me, then our lives are radically changed. See, the one who took off royalty, who humbled himself, who entered our experience as a baby, who experienced the same life we live and then exhausted death of its power on a cross, he did this so that we could experience his life. He did it so we could claim the gift given to us each Christmas. See, when we start to trust God, he starts to fill our lives with his life. See, he warms our hearts and Jesus mends our brokenness and he saves us from our cynicism and he brings wisdom to our thinking and he brings compassion to our relationships and he brings peace to our worry and he brings calm to our anger and purpose to our futures and redemption to our failures and restoration to our mistakes and freedom from our shame and clarity to our present and security of our eternity and forgiveness of our wrongs. This tiny little baby who grew to be the saviour of the world brings this to us and offers it as a gift and we're reminded of it again this Christmas. Some of you know that reality. You know it, you love it. Like, yes. You just named what I just love about Jesus. Why, when it comes to Christmas, I go, oh, thank you, God, what you would do. But some of you, this may stir a bunch of questions. It may evoke an intrigue of like, I need to know more. I've got some questions around this. See, some of you might find yourself hungry for what I talk about because that's not the version of Christianity that you've had or settled with, or some of you might just be hungry for dinner. But I want to tell you that the more Jesus offers us is so refreshing and purpose-filled and brilliant that through his spirit, he lives in us, he resides in us. Through Jesus, we come to know the heart and the love of God. And that's what we want for you. And so if you'd like to pursue questions, if this has raised any questions, if you're like, I don't get it at all, but I want to. Or when you said that, that just threw me. I don't know what that means. Or what does all that actually mean for my life? If you have questions which might be them or others, we would love to talk with you. The person that invited you would love to talk to you about those things. And if you want to chat to us afterwards, please do that. Chat with the person that brought you about those things. But we're going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And I want to invite you to pray that prayer for yourself. And when you, when you, when you pray that prayer... It's, it's not about anyone else hearing or knowing. or it's, it's something that you do between you and God to say, actually, God, that trust that you invite me into, that's, that's what I want to have more of. Because God wants to do something wonderful in your life. And we, village, this is what we exist for. We want to be part of it. We want to cheer you on, encourage you, and pray for you. And so if you pray this prayer, we want to invite you to tell somebody, tell the person you came with, tell Ori or myself, tell somebody, um, and, and we want to encourage you in that, walk with you in that. So let's pray.
loving God, we just find ourselves in this space, this this oasis away from the the crazy of Christmas to, to really hear and understand and see what you're about. And you love us. You care for us. You trust us. And you invite us to trust you. And so Lord, as we sit here, we bring our cynicism to you and our brokenness. We bring the things that we have done wrong, our sin, the hurt we've caused ourselves and others and you, and we bring it before you. And we ask you to take it away. And Lord, may your spirit now fill us. May you fill us with your power and your love and your peace and your fruit that we might find ourselves transformed by your love, led in a new way, led into a new future, led with a different life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that we can come together. We can sing these ancient songs that worship and adore and honour you. And Lord, we, we pray that these things, the things that you want to give us, will become real in our lives now and forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.